Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a a link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us uh, on the dial if you're driving around the CSRA, 1230 a.m. And then uh, we have a podcast link. Steve, we uh, we have our podcast, um, you know, available out there. We have it broken up into different segments. So if you miss a show, very, very easy to go back and listen to The Money Doctors. Exactly. No excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors because you can listen to all our shows and, yeah. like you said, they're categorized by topics. I mean, what more could you ask for? And also, we'd love to have your emails. We'd love to have your questions. You can reach us by email directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net. So, um, well, John, I think we have a in- very interesting show, a lot going on in the world mm-hmm. this week, isn't mm-hmm. it? And um, so we're going to... We're going to start off here talking about the markets, you know, and there's some analysts out there that are that are pointing to the idea that that we may be poised for some big gains. Is your crystal ball kind of clearing up a little bit? Well, you know, theirs is. And, you know, I love repeating it because it's exciting news. And, you know, it's it's we need some positive positive. Yeah, need some positive energy out there. So, hey, we got some good stories to share with you. And this is a good one right out of CNBC. Um, you know, an analyst they, they talk to there, and, and they have some very interesting reasons for it. Something that hasn't happened in 65 years mm. has aligned. The stars have aligned. <laughs> you want to pay attention to this. It's yeah, very interesting. That's pretty good. And we're going to follow that up with an article out of the Dave Ramsey organization. Dave has a guy uh, he's hired. His name is Chris Hogan. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not, but he is really fantastic, and it's the five worst investing mistakes that you can make. So we're going to go through that list of five items you want to make sure that you you're not doing and we see a lot of people making these mistakes so this is a very good article very timely as well yeah that'll be a good one and we're going to end up with um an article here is a reversal of brexit in the cards hmm. you know it's interesting he gives three concrete ways here um this this guy on market watch gives three concrete ways that he thinks britain or the uk is going to reverse their decision on brexit interesting and he says a return return card he calls it a return i like that you know yeah, it's very too. creative so uh we'll, we'll talk about that it's very very interesting but we're going to lead off here though with the financial fact of the week and this comes from the department of labor and uh, talking about medicare here and, and this is a pretty amazing stat the government outlays for medicare has increased about 10 percent annually over the last 40 fiscal years and it's gone from about 13 billion in 1975 to 546 billion in 2015 and ouch 
10% a year. Inflation has averaged about 3.7% over that same time span. So that program is broken. They need to blow that up, um, blow Social Security up, and start all over. Yeah, that is terrible. I mean, that's, you know, if you compare that to our budget, which is about $3.8 trillion, I think, that's about 15% of our budget alone is going toward Medicare. Mm-hmm. And the CBO actually projects that that's going to balloon from here because the, the baby boomers are just now really starting to gear up for retirement. Yeah. And so as more and more of them start picking up Medicare at age 65, we have a big problem on our hands. Yeah. it's I mean, it's the writing's on the wall. I mean, yeah. something has to change. I mean, 10% a year, that's, that's pathetic. That's a lot. That's a lot. So interesting fact, but not real positive. So let's try to get to some positive <laughs> news here, right? The uh, There's an article out here by CNBC, Stephanie Landsman, um, talking about the market being poised for big gains. Yeah, I mean, this is very interesting because they're pointing to some very unusual factors that have now aligned. One of Wall Street's biggest bulls says stocks could skyrocket as much as 20% over the coming months due to an unusual event, one that's only been seen twice in the last 65 years until now. And so here's what happened. On June 28th and 29th, you know, following the Brexit vote, 90% of New York Stock Exchange volume was positive. Hmm which is apparently very, very unusual. Um, so Canaccord uh, Genuality is the chief investment analyst, um, Tony Dreyer, Dyer, mm-hmm. Tony Dwyer, I'm sorry, got it now, Tony <laughs> Dwyer. Um, he said that a combination of the historical precedent and fundamental backdrop suggests a 15 to 20% upside over the next 6 to 12 months. Wow, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's a big number. Of course, we're not suggesting it's no, going to happen. No, we're not trying to predict it we're here. Not, we're just reporting the news. We're just reporting the news. <laughs> we're not at all predicting this, but it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it may sound technical, but according to Dwyer, the conviction on the part of buyers can often indicate the future of a bull market. And certainly the market appears to be headed in that direction already. I mean, last week, you know, a couple last couple weeks, markets have pretty much fully recovered from the knee-jerk, you know, Brexit selling uh, that went on um, with the S&P 500, you know, gaining, having its biggest week since October of 2014. Yeah, so. if you yeah if you go back and and uh, look at uh, 1950 on just occurrences, I mean when you had two upside 90 percent days, you've never been negative three, six, or 12 months later. As a matter of fact, your median gains are 12 percent, 18, and 29 percent respectively, and that's wow. what what Dyer told uh, or Dwyer told uh, CNBC, and he crunched the numbers with the help of, of data gathered from um, SentimentTrader.com. And uh, last week, Bank of America's sell side indicator noted that Wall Street's bullishness on stocks had fallen for a third month in a row. And in the bank's view, a decline in sentiment is a counter indicator that that is flashing a buy signal for investors. So for his part, Dwyer, who has a year-end price target at around 2,200 for the S&P, had bigger gains in 2017. And he calls that prediction um, conservative. So he's looking at technical analysis. That's one way to look at the market is technically. You can also look at it as momentum and some other ways as well, but he's very bullish on on the market. Well, no doubt those are the kind of numbers we like hearing about. I mean, that's that's very very interesting. But uh, you know, let me add two occurrences 
in the last 65 years is interesting, but it's not, sig- not. statistically significant. <laughs> That's okay, right. so don't you read. Gotta have three, right? Don't read too much into these numbers. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty small sample. Yeah, definitely. Okay, but hey, we'll take what we can get here. Um, he says, "I'm I'm probably too low on that prediction." Is what he says. You know, even with the 20 percent gain prediction, he says, "You know that the most important point is that corporate credit has improved." And if you look at one of the things which is really going to freak out investors is when the stock market recovers and corporate credit doesn't recover. That's interesting. For investors looking for value, though, he believes that financials, um, which were hit hard on the June 23rd you know, Brexit decision, are positioned to grab significant gains, especially with the Federal Reserve on hold in the foreseeable future. He says it's fantastic. It's, it's Wall Street's l- lore. You know, the Fed is not going to move. They are they're going to be um, lower for longer. The yield curve is flattening. You know, how could you possibly want to buy financial or bank stock when the European crisis in Asia is slowing, argued Dwyer? He says, you know, he com- he compares the event to 2012 when the European sovereign debt crisis was unfolding. If Dwyer is right, it could be a very profitable period for financial stocks. Um, he says the data is very clear. The market is up every time after you get this kind of buying thirst that we've had over last week, he said. And the last time you had similar environment of low interest rates, flat yield curve, and the European crisis, that was the time to buy banks, Dwyer says. Yeah, and there's another report out here by J.P. Morgan, who's another financial firm that, um, you know, talking about the old adage, you, I know, Steve, I know you've heard it, selling may and go away, taking a vacation from stocks right. um, during the summer. A lot of people People talk about that, but that can ultimately prove to be a, a big mistake. I mean, we've had a couple of tough summers that are still fresh in, in people's memory. If you say the word Greece, that probably brings back some flashbacks. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't <clears> you know. But, you know, if you look over the long term, history is not in your favor to sell in May and go away. I mean, the head of the th- thematic equity solutions for J.P. Morgan um, said that even though the S&P 500 has had a rough start to the summer with a Brexit vote, Gains are expected going forward. He noted that since 1970, markets have actually rallied over the summer nearly two-thirds of the time. So you hear all these adages, you know, right. you know, sell in May, go away. They're not, they're not true. No, that's right. I mean, two-thirds of the time, that's about statistically the same amount of time that the market has gone up that's over right. time. That's right. You know, two-thirds of the time. So, you know, summer is really no different than the rest of the year in that regard. Um, however, while Parker warned that the period between Memorial Day and Labor Day tends to be more volatile, um, and that can favor the bullish investors since we've had more 10% rallies over the summer than we've had declines. Furthermore, you know, he points out that, um, you know, the volatility that stemmed from Brexit has undeterred him. He says the market is ready because de-risking is already baked into the strategies and earnings are expected to rise. In fact, the S&P 500 earnings are projected to rise 15% this year by year end and another 15% um, by by next year, um, during next year, according to the latest consensus estimates. So, I mean, that kind of growth usually paints a very nice picture for the markets. And, of course, um, you know, these are forward-looking estimates, so they can change quickly. I mean, keep that in mind. But it's very, very interesting nonetheless. 
And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about markets poised for big gains. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah. You know, I mean, just as as investment advisors, it makes us feel good. Um, of course, nobody really knows here. This is just one opinion, and it comes from an article out of CNBC here recently. And, uh, you know, this guy's talking about um, kind of an odd indicator that has only happened twice in the last 65 years until now. And every time it has happened, we've seen a 20% gain in the market over the coming months. So very interesting phenomena here. And here's what it is. And that is when you have two consecutive days with over 90% um volume that was positive. So in other words, 90% of the market has positive volume, I guess. And I guess that means the volume is gaining. Yeah. And so 90% of the stocks are gaining and the volume's gaining associated with it. Right. So you do that two days in a row and you're set up for this really positive move over the next six to 12 months, according to him. And so it hasn't happened for a long time, but we just had this Mm -hmm. happen back right following the Brexit vote. Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, this guy Dreyer, he says that we are um, poised for a terrific period going forward. Now, I would say, as we pointed out here, that this is only two occurrences yeah. in the last 65 years. Two occurrences years. doesn't make a trend. It doesn't make a statistically significant sample. Yeah, but one of the things we mentioned earlier is the earnings. I think that is a very positive, yes. um, you know, and it's it's the consensus earnings out there. And they, they're changed, obviously, and uh, they're forward-looking. But uh, having earnings increasing is a great sign for the market, you know, in the near future and, and long term as well. But, again, that can change. Definitely. They definitely can, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, he says the data here is, is very clear. The market is up every time you get this kind of kind of buying thirst. So it's, it's very positive information. Um, but, you know, I mean, looking at the other factor here, and, and they're talking about J.P. Morgan here is talking about the fact that, that the, the really we're poised for a pretty good summer. And they think, the J.P. Morgan analysts think, that markets are going to, to finish the summer strong. Um, so that's pretty good. And he pointed out that, you know, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, 67% of the time it's a positive, uh, a positive summer. And um, so, you know, I think, furthermore, he says, you know, he's he's undeterred by all the volatility that came from this Brexit 
vote. Um, it's recovered. He thinks we're set up for a really positive time heading into the rest of the summer. As you pointed out, you know, earnings is one of the big thing. Um, we, we see positive earnings growth. In fact, there's an estimate for the S&P 500. Standard Poor's is predicting 15% gain in earnings this year and another 15% gain next year. Um, and that's after we've seen flat earnings for the past couple of years now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, there's some very positive stuff out there. Um, you know, and I think uh, I, I think it's it has some validity to it. You know, we could point to the earnings factor. Yeah, and there, there is certainly pressures from a stronger dollar, lower commodity price um, that have begun to subside. And as markets move past the political headlines, he feels that the second half of the year is set up nicely for rallies in the U.S. and abroad. And in Europe, you could potentially see a little bit of a catch-up move, uh, concluded Parker, who explained that fears around Brexit and resulting uncertainty have seen uh, European markets underperform the U.S. markets in 2016. So the economic data out of Europe is improving, uh, he points out. And there's also, um, that's where they were looking for opportunities right now. Furthermore, if we get a Brexit, or he calls it a return move, and some are talking about to undo the Brexit vote, that would probably take uh, the uncertainty uh, off the table and could open the door for an international rally. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. We certainly don't recommend anybody make decisions, you know, based on their you know their no. financial situation based on this data or this article, but it is interesting some of the uh, the topics out there. It definitely is, yeah. But of course, regardless of where the market's head in the short term, I mean, history shows that you are better off if you stay fully di- invested in a portfolio uh, that is well diversified that meets your tolerance for risk and avoid any move to time it. We always recommend that you stay diversified in eight to twelve different asset classes around the world. Rebalance your portfolio periodically. If you follow that strategy and stay invested, history shows you will likely do much better than the average investor. So that's the advice from the money doctors this morning. Um, yeah, that's that, good. Yeah, there you go. And so that leads us up here to our uh, question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, debt and are using debt consolidation companies a good idea? And uh, I recently had a um, experience sat down with. Uh, a couple and did some counseling and um, pretty significant debt levels, very high, very high interest rates. And one of the advantages of a debt consolidation company is they they do have the ability to lower your interest rate. And sure. so some of these interest rates were 25, 27, even 30 percent. And so they were they were talking to them about getting it down into the single digits, maybe five, six, seven percent. So yep. that certainly helps tremendously. However, they extended the payments out over like almost five years. And so we went through and did a debt snowball that, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about, and we got it down to about two years. There you go. Now, that means that you've got to, like, bust it. You've got to get some additional income. You've got to sell this. You've got to stop doing this. But if you think about if you can yourself get it out in two years, you're going to be better off than extending it out five years. Yeah, you don't want to extend it. I I agree. Um, And the debt snowball is the way to get out of it. So you don't really have to consolidate them. You know, if necessary, if it's long-term debt, yeah, maybe consolidate it, you know, on a home equity loan or something like that yourself. But uh, you you still, you got to get on the debt snowball plan. Mm -hmm. That's the key. You know, I just did this. You mentioned some recent, recent couple you did counseling for. I'm in the middle of doing some of that myself as well. 
And, you know, we created a debt payment plan that that took um, debt that was going to be stretched out seven years and compressed it into about four years and, you know, just snowballed it to where the last one, I mean, they're putting like $4,000 a mm-hmm. month on the last one. Wow. You know, and it just really hammers it very, very quickly. And it's interesting when you see that plan put together, how fast something that stretched out seven years, once it gets snowballed and you have a bunch of cascading mm-hmm. payments mm-hmm. into that particular card or debt or whatever the liability is, how it just it just gets paid, wiped out in just a few months sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the kind of plan you got to have. That's the way to do it. I mean, a lot of the fallacy with the debt consolidation is um, <clears throat> it doesn't change your spending habits. Exactly. And so you've got to get to the root of the problem. You've got to do budgets. You've got to get focused, get on a plan like, you know, like Steve was talking about. And um, so we're not fans of debt consolidation. No, we're not. And and so the key is you got to get rid of the credit cards. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's where your debt is coming from, I mean, maybe have one card for emergency. But other than that, you don't even need that, right? You can use a debit card, mm-hmm. you know, for emergency. Yeah, right, same right. thing when you travel. So, I mean, in general, I would say just totally get rid of the credit cards. Yep. You know, have a plastectomy, as <laughs> Dave says, right? I mean, to get the cards paid off. Get rid of the credit cards altogether. You know, get on a budget, and you got to have a budget to even start this process. That's right. And then get some discipline in place to, to make sure that, that you, you're paying for everything ahead of time. Yep. You know, and, and it sounds foreign and because, you know, people think that they have to go out and take a loan for a car, for instance. They think there's just no way you can pay cash for a car. Wrong. Yeah. That's just not right, right? I mean, you got to save money. First of all, if you can't afford a new car, don't buy a new car. Yeah. You buy a used car. That's really what you, that's the cheapest form of transportation anyway, right? Amen. There you go. I mean, so, you know, buy a good, you know, three, four, five, even six year used car, save up enough money to pay cash for it, you know, save up $8,000, $10,000. And then just pay cash for it and, and then drive that for five years. We just came across a, uh, a car for a, a charity that um, we're working with, and it's a $3,000 vehicle. It has 115,000 miles on it. It works beautifully. But for three grand, somebody can get into a, a used vehicle and have reliable transportation. There you go. And that's exactly what I told the couple that we're working with is, you know, if you need a new car, you know, one of the couples I'm working with currently, I said, you know, go buy a $3,000 car. I said, they're out there and they're not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to have, you know, the, the $200 maintenance here and there, sure. you know, every other month, maybe every, I mean, maybe a few times a, a year. But the fact is they are there and the, yeah, they're going to have a hundred plus thousand miles on them, but still they're, they're only six, seven years old. Maybe, you know, it might be 10 years old, but still they're, they're drivable. They're in decent shape. You and, can go all day long and find those on the car lot. Yeah. Or you can find friends. That's even better. Find somebody that has one. And the one thing it does not come with is a car payment. That's the key. That is the key. That's the key. So don't assume you have to go out there and, and go into debt for a car. I mean, get out of debt, do the debt snowball plan and be done with it. Be, be debt free forever. You know, and then then work on your house. You sound like Dave Ramsey over there. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. All right. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. And Gina, stay with us. 
Welcome back to Money MD. The money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to lead off our next segment here with a, a new topic, and that is the five worst investing mistakes you can make. Um, it's a great topic. It really is, and timely as well, because we see some of these mistakes being made, you know, right now. And uh, this is an article out of the Dave Ramsey organization, a guy named Chris Hogan. If you've never heard him speak, he is a phenomenal speaker. Um, he has a book out, actually. It's called Retire Inspired. And uh, so Dave's trying to get his brand, you know, in a couple different places. His daughter, Rachel Cruz, is also kind of a figurehead as well. Yeah. And Chris is another person that uh, is really uh, high up in the organization. I had a chance to meet him a couple times. Really nice guy. Very knowledgeable. <clears throat> and he has this article about the five worst investing mistakes that you can make. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he's a financial coach, and he says in the in the years as a financial coach, he's heard a lot of people tell heartbreaking stories about investing mistakes they've made, mistakes that have cost them thousands of dollars and valuable time. And so that's that's one of the reasons why you know we're passionate about helping people change the way they think about money and investing. And I know what happens when you make smart money decisions, and uh, we also know what happens when you don't. And so this is going to be uh, you know kind of a list of some things that you don't want to make these mistakes. So the good news is is that you can learn from others' mistakes and avoid the pitfalls that rob them of a secure financial future. And so here are five big ways that you could derail your retirement dreams. And number one, Steve, we see this as emotion. People making decisions on emotion. Yeah, that's terrible. You do not want to give in to your emotions. It's a bad idea. So many financial decisions based on how you feel, it truly is a recipe for disaster. You know, fear and greed can kill your retirement fund. Uh, and you have to look at investing as a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, the markets have been flat for two years now. Well, that's true. The two years before that, it was up about 50%. So, you know, you got to look at this over the long term. And when markets do take a downturn, and, and it will because that's what history shows us, some people panic and they cash out all of their investments because they're afraid the market won't ever recover. But as we know, it always has. Right. And so Absolutely. bad idea to make decisions based on your on your emotions. And, you know, if you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it measures the growth of a stock market um, based on 30 major companies. So very, very narrow index. But in February of 2009, that index dropped to about seventy nine hundred. And by February of 2010, it had rebounded to eleven thousand three hundred. That's just a year later. Just a year later. Huge increase. Right. Huge That's increase. Huge. Yeah. 30. 30% or something, 40% probably. Yeah, that's right. And the, number. and the market today is is over 17000 and that's less than a decade later. So if you cashed in your investments in February of 2009, you missed out on a great recovery, you know, over the last 10 years. And that's why, you know, you never, ever make investing decisions when you're scared. Sometimes they recommend that you sit down with um, a professional to talk to. And so one of the reasons why we work with people out in the community is they want some Someone they can talk to that understands their situation and and can kind of help them weather some of these difficult markets. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, as professionals, we do know people who cashed out during that turmoil back in the financial crisis, and they irreparably damaged their future. Unfortunately, so you know you don't want to be in that boat. As you rightly pointed out, you can't follow your emotions. You know you got to look at it logically. You got to look at it with some discipline. And, and history in uh, in the context of it. 
Um, the second one here on the list is putting all your eggs in one basket. I mean, you probably heard your grandmother give you this piece of advice, right? Turns out she's right, especially when it comes to investing. If you put all your money in one stock, you're taking a huge risk. Ever heard of a company called Enron? Remember that one? <laughs> mm-hmm. Back in the tech bubble, mm-hmm. back in 2000. Lehman Brothers? Well, yeah, it was worth, yeah, that was in the financial crisis. But, yeah, Enron was worth about $70 billion in 2000. That same company went bankrupt the very next year, and investors lost everything because they invested all their money in that one company. And at the time, mm-hmm. you know, people in retirement plans could put all their money in the company stock, and the company could require it. And one of the reasons they changed that was because of Enron, mm-hmm. so that now I think companies can't require you to put, you know, all of your matching in that one stock. Um, so, you know, and that's why we like mutual funds, because they sailed through. I mean, they're kind of like the salad buffet of investing. You know, you have different kinds of stocks, um, different asset classes like aggressive growth, small cap, overseas, value stocks, international stocks. They're all bundled together. They're sold as a unit. And depending on the stocks or mutual the stocks or bonds that you have, mutual funds, they can minimize your risk and they can give you the best chance to grow your money over time. So diversification really is the key. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. It doesn't prevent losses, but it does help to lower the volatility. That's exactly right. That's proven with with data and stats and so forth. So, you know, the first mistake is don't make decisions on emotion. Second one is don't put all your eggs in one basket. The third one is not investing enough. If you want to enjoy your retirement of your dreams, you need to invest about 15% of your income. And if you're just getting started and can't swing that much, then at least invest enough to take advantage of your company matching program and if you don't you're you're robbing yourself of free money i mean that is part of your salary that you need to to consider and you know if you're paying off debt which you should be your first priority then maybe you put investing on hold or reduce the amount you're investing temporarily but once you're debt free you need to crank that back up and you need to get up to the 15 percent level because a little sacrifice now will pay off later uh literally and it can be huge if you do it right yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking of mistakes, here's another big mistake that you can make, particularly for young people, and that is thinking that you don't make enough money to invest. Um, you know, that lie trips up a lot of young professionals. When you're just starting out and you get your first real job, you may think investing is impossible, right? All you got is enough just to kind of meet the basic needs. But listen up. You're never too young or 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 make too little to start investing. The earlier you start, the better off you'll be. And that's because compound interest and time are your best friends. So you have to get those on your side and get them working for you early. Let's say you start investing just $2,000 a year. I mean, that's only $167 a month. You know, that's that's not even a car payment. Yeah. I mean, that's really small amount of money, right? That's your, your cell phone It's eating out for a something. lot of people. Exactly. So, you know, when you're 22 years old, you start investing $2,000 a year, assuming a 10% growth on those investments, you could be looking at $1.5 million by the time you're 67. That's the day's Social Security retirement age. Um, if you waited until you were 32 beginning to begin investing that $2,000 a year, you would only have around 600000 just over a third of what you would so have waiting, had. So waiting 10 years cost you nine hundred. 
Exactly. Exactly. So the early years are very, very critical. And you may not to be able to invest 15% of your, your total income, but you can invest something, and something is better than nothing. So get started now and just build your build your way up to the 15% mark. Yeah, that's a good one. And the final one here is is a mistake that you don't want to make is borrowing from your investments. And, you know, we, we get it. As your investments grow, you're more tempted to use that money to buy a car, maybe pay off a house, maybe you have a major emergency. But according to CNBC, of the money invested in 401K plans between 2012 and 2013, about 24% was withdrawn for nine retirement purposes that's a really really bad idea i mean you shoot yourself in the foot when you borrow from that account i mean if you if you leave the investments alone that will uh, likely grow over time with compound interest but when you take the money out you're stealing from your future not only that but you have to pay back that loan um, and you're rebuying those shares at the current market price which will likely be higher than than when you sold them so but that's not even the worst news in 2014 fidelity reported that 50 percent of people who took out a loan against a 401k ended up taking out additional loans. That's and I, it. And I know I see that as well. I see people that have taken out one have multiple loans. Not only that, but 24% of borrowers lowered their savings rate, and some stopped saving altogether. Unfortunately, those people are just digging themselves deeper into debt and uh, robbing themselves of a great retirement. So th- the key to, to this one, Steve, is making sure you have an emergency fund Absolutely. to protect yourself, because if you don't have an emergency fund, that's one of the major causes of um, – you know, borrowing from 401ks. So that emergency fund can protect that 401k. And, you know, if you want to make smart decisions with your investments, you know, you've got to think about your future. Um, you know, that's why the Ramsey organization is passionate as well as the money doctors of helping people make their retirement dreams come true. So, um, you know, maybe you want to go at this alone. Um, if you need help, you can obviously reach out to us. There's other people in the community that are certainly are willing to help as well. But don't take money from your 401k. Don't make decisions based on your emotions you know have a plan we talk about this a lot you know it, it's it's not easy to do this day to day when you look at it over the long long term and you set a plan up it does make it a little bit easier to get through some of these difficult periods yeah absolutely i mean these are just symptoms of a bigger problem and so like you said you know you got to get on track from the very beginning have a budget and you got to get get the discipline working you know with investing not borrowing from your 401k not getting into debt and uh, just saving consistently. So, great topic. All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to start off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve, I think we've we've talked about this one before, but it's so important that uh, I thought we would kind of revisit it. And, you know, we've done some shopping studies in the past, and we shopped at, um, had our, our wives go out and do a test at Aldi, Walmart. Um, I think they went to Kroger, Publix, and so forth. And, and uh, we found that Aldi was the cheapest of the bunch, the least expensive, followed by Walmart. So if you're not shopping at Wal- Walmart or Aldi, 
uh, or some other low-cost store, you know, maybe Sam's or Costco you could throw in that, that bucket, you could be spending 20 to 30% more than necessary. And I know when I did the um, counseling yep. recently, I said, where do you shop? And they said, Kroger. And I'm like, you're spending 30%, like, likely, not not definite, but, you know, you need to look at Aldi. And the look was like... Really? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, yeah, you have to bag your own groceries right. and do your own carts and so forth. But if you can save 25% of, you know, $1,000 a month. There you go. Or $500 a month. I mean, it's big money. Could be huge. It could. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just the convenience of going to mm-hmm. wherever it, your local, you know, really nice grocery store is very expensive, right? I mean, overpaying on groceries probably costs the average budget. I'm just guessing here. Maybe... $200 a month. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, if it's 20% of $1,000, like you mm-hmm. said, it's yeah. $200 a month. Yeah. And, you know, family of four, they're probably spending $1,000 a month probably. on groceries. Um, you know, I just looked at somebody's budget just yesterday, in fact. They emailed me that they were doing for some uh, planning here. And, and I think they were spending about $700 a month just on groceries, not including eating out, just for two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a huge savings. If you can save 20 30% on that. So you you got to get out there and make the effort and go to the cheaper places mm-hmm. to buy. Don't overlook groceries. Convenience is not worth $200 plus a month. No, you're right. It's just not. I mean, that's $2,400 a year big number yeah you can take that and put it towards emergency funds paying off debt there you go two years you can buy a good used car with that there you go there you go okay that brings up to our last topic here and that is is a reversal of brexit in the cards um yeah this is a great article out of market watch here very recently and you know this is interesting because i mean there are three ways they point out here that it could happen where the uk's vote to lead the european union could be totally reversed and we're saying this 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 author matthew lynn is saying he thinks it's probably going to happen this way i love it he calls this return <laughs> return <laughs> in brexit uh it's very very cute um yeah i mean so this was the picture after the brexit vote the pound was in free fall the london stock market tanked for two days big banks were looking for offices in frankfurt and paris and businesses had hunkered down in their bunkers and postponed making investments. Facebook was turned from a place to swap funny kitten videos into an arena for trench warfare between the outraged supporters of the EU and the diehard Leave campaigners. Um, to say that Britain, you know, had... Uh, you know, taking the recent vote to leave the European Union calmly would be an understatement of the century. Oh, it was yeah. a very, very volatile week for those folks. Yeah, it probably still is over there. I mean, a petition to hold a petition to hold a second referendum was hit close, has hit close to four million signatures, and polling shows that more than a million of the Leave voters regret the choice. So, you know, a new prime minister still has to be chosen, and a negotiating strategy for getting out has yet to be decided. And there are at least two years until the U.K. finally goes through that exit door. And the political mood is so, you know, vile right now, it can hardly be guaranteed that steps will ever be taken. Yeah, that's right. I mean, markets have yet to take all this into account. And while traders have been furiously pricing in the impact of the Brexit 
on both the British and the global economies, you know, there's another possibility that really hasn't begun to sink in yet, and that is the U.K. may not leave the EU at all, or it may do so in such a tepid way that it hardly counts as quitting. Um, let's call it return, he says. <laughs> I love it. You know, as the country returns to the status quo. And since the currency and the stock market, you know, plunged on the quitting of, of you know, the U.K. and the European Union, um, you know, they and they've recovered most of that drop. But presumably a return would take place would also push the market a lot higher. So there's growing evidence that many people want to fight back against that decision to leave, and their voice is growing in strength. Yeah, the market certainly didn't see the Brexit majority coming, and nor did the political establishment either. I mean, the polls always said it was going to be close, but most people chose not to believe them. And the decision when it came took most investors and politicians by surprise, and there was a frenzied wave of, of panic selling. There's that emotion we talked about, and then it drove asset prices uh, down right across Europe and indeed the world as well. And, you know, in the UK, however, you would expect the mood to be one of jubilation. After all, this is what the majority of people voted for, but there's very little evidence of jubilation over there. There's a few diehard leavers aside that are still, you know, excited about it, but the mood of the past week has been one of anxiety and remorse. And there's a growing evidence that many people want to fight back against the decision to leave, and their voice is growing in strength. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, an online petition demanding that a decision to leave the EU um, should mean that a majority of 60 to 75 percent turnout um, should be there. And that has has garnered some huge support. Um, It has put on a lot of votes. It's now surpassed four million votes over there in the EU and a poll for the independent uh, from the independent found that 1.1 million of the 11 million leave voters now regret their decision and apparently would change their vote. The health minister, Jeremy Hunt, argued that there should be a second vote before the UK actually left. So we expect to hear a lot more of this as the implications and time goes on, you know, kind of hit the road here. And, you know, this vote really sinks in. And so could it actually happen? Well, the answer is yes. In fact, there are three scenarios they point to here in which they're perfectly plausible that Britain might vote or might reverse course and stay in the EU after all. Yeah, I mean, the most obvious is a second vote. I mean, leaving the UE is not going to be a simple task for whoever takes over from, uh, you know, David Cameron as the prime minister. I mean, the process is going to take two years. It's going to require long negotiations about a new trading relationship between Britain and the rest of Europe. And a huge amount of legislation will have to be unwound and replaced. So, you know, after 40 years as a part of the um, the EU, getting out of this web, you know, different treaties, different responsibilities, Responsibilities. It's going to take a huge effort. And at the end of the process, there probably will be a compromise that will be reached, even if it's messy and it won't please everyone. Uh, it would be perfectly sensible for the prime minister to then put that to the vote, to a vote for another referendum um, in which the option of remaining would be on the balance. So second vote may happen. Yeah, it definitely could happen. I, I would be very surprised if, if the EU, I mean, the UK actually ends up leaving the EU. We'll see. I mean, alternatively, though, um, there may very well be a general election before Britain actually leaves. A new prime minister will certainly 
need a clear mandate to push through, um, you know, the momentous change of the course of the country. So, you know, who wins that? Well, right now it's anyone's guess. But if people feel as strongly about staying in the EU as they say they do, there's no reason why the pro-EU party, such as Tories, the former coalition uh, partner of the liberal Democrats, um, shouldn't storm the power. And if that happens, you know, the decision could very well be reversed. Yeah, and the final um, option here that, that could be a possibility is the U.K. might well negotiate a form of associate membership that's virtually identical to staying inside the EU. And already it looks as if the most likely outcome is the Norwegian model, where the U.K. retains access to the single market in exchange for accepting the free movement of labor and many of the EU rules. So it may very well turn out to be a Norway plus, which involves some role for the UK in decision making. And you know, given that the country is already outside the euro, it would take you know a very large magnifying glass to actually tell the difference between that and staying in. It would have lost some influence, but unless you're a diplomat or a politician, that's really a you know, minimal consequence. So, you know, associate membership, you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting if the, the EU takes that path and allows it to happen. I think that's the most likely path. Um, but if they do allow that to happen, then it might encourage other countries that don't want to be kind of, you know, have the EU's will forced on them. Um, they might try to do the same thing and try to negotiate some kind of associate membership, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, that's kind of like getting all, that's kind of like being married without being married. You know yeah, what I right. mean? Get all the benefits and other responsibilities. So I don't know if that'll really happen. It'll be interesting to see. But, you know, if the EU takes any of these paths, it effectively will be back in investors that that's going to matter because it's going to mean that, you know, it really wipes out. Uh, all the uncertainty and, and it makes it a lot more clear. The pound will be back to a dollar fifty before it was before the vote, like it was um, earlier. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Stay tuned, but very interesting topic nonetheless. All right, and that leads up to our the end of our show. This has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, seven zero six seven three nine zero seven two five. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Ladies have a good and gentlemen. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. We'll